0: Let's read the prophecy of Haggai, the first chapter, beginning then at the very first verse. Let's hear God's precious word, Haggai, chapter 1, and verse number 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, And to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat but ye have not enough. Ye drink but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm, and he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of Hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood, and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts. Because of mine house it is waste, and ye run every man to his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from Jew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit, and I call for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labour of the hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, With all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent them. And the people did fear before the Lord. Then spake Haggai the Lord's messenger and the Lord's message unto the people saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel the son of Shaltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedach, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and did work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, in the four-and-twentieth day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. And we'll just end the reading of God's precious word, and we know that God will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts for his own sake and glory. The prophecy of Haggai chapter one, I'm going to look at the chapter really generally, but verse number eight, I suppose, is the text that I want you to consider most of all. Haggai chapter one, verse number eight Go up to the mountain. And bring wood and build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. I want to speak for a little while this morning, very simply, upon a fresh commitment to the work of God. A fresh commitment to the work of God. Let's just pray and invite the Lord to speak to your hearts. Let's challenge the Lord to speak to us and encourage the Lord to speak to us. And let's pray together. Father, we thank Thee again for Thy Word. And Lord, how relevant it is in these days that we're living in. And our God and our Father, we pray now for the help of the Spirit of God. Thank Thee for Thy people. What a blessing it is, O God, to be able to meet together and praise Thy name together and pray together and read the Bible together and consider the words of God together. We pray, Lord, that Thou will bless us this morning, put a hedge around about every believer, and grant, Lord, that Thy Spirit will speak to our hearts, and that, Lord, we will realize the great privilege that it is not only to receive, but also to serve. And we pray, Lord, that Thou will challenge our hearts. Glorify Thy Son, and grant the help of heaven, and may our hearts be soft and tender, And may Christ be exalted, and may the preacher be hidden behind the cross. We pray in Jesus' name, and for God's (coughs) eternal glory. Amen. I think everybody in our church knows this morning that as a congregation, we're in the middle of a building project. And I've honestly not intended to speak on it, or preach on it, or mention it too much. And I've purposely tried to stay away from preaching about the building project outside of the main church sanctuary. It's not my style to uh, pick a subject and try to goad God's people or stir up God's people in and off myself or maybe make even people feel guilty or anything like that at all because that can be very, very fleshly. And I've purposely tried to stay away from speaking about the building project here in Lisbon. But over the month of January, different meetings I attended and different Bible readings that I was doing, the little book of Haggai came up several times. And I felt exercised in my soul to make mention of something of the content of the prophecy of this book. It's always my intention. To allow the Spirit of God to lead and to guide and just to direct my heart as much as I can discern as to what to preach on from this pulpit. And I feel the Lord would have us even today, maybe next week as well, to consider a little bit of the prophecy of Haggai. This prophecy is an interesting prophecy. It's one of the shortest prophecies in the Bible And yet it's very profound and very relevant to the day and age that we're living in. And out of all of the servants of God and Old Testament prophecy, Haggai's ministry was maybe one of the only ones that was met with immediate success. Within just a period of three weeks and a couple of days, Haggai saw immediate fruit for his labors. And God stirred up the people under his ministry. That doesn't always happen, but it happened under the ministry of Haggai the prophet. The Jewish people had returned to Jerusalem from captivity. They had begun to build again the walls of Jerusalem under Nehemiah. And then under Ezra, they had begun to build again the temple that had been destroyed. And yet the work of God had grown to a halt. And now for 14 years, nothing has really been done as regards rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. And Haggai's prophecy is a prophecy of challenge and encouragement and promise to the children of Israel to build again the temple. And God promises to take joy and pleasure in it. And so while the prophecy of Haggai is all about a building project, I want just to look at the prophecy of Haggai And consider the work of God in general. Yes, there's application to the building project here. But more importantly, there's application to the spiritual building up of the body of Christ. And spiritual application for every believer to get involved in the work of God. And to do what we can do to further the cause of Jesus Christ. Just by way of introduction, I want you to notice verse number one. It makes mention there of the period of the work in the second year of Darius the king. That equates to 520 BC. And so Haggai, just along with Zechariah as well, they were post-captivity prophets. Some prophets ministered to Israel before the Babylonian captivity. They ministered by way of warning. And then men like Ezekiel ministered to the children of Israel during the captivity. And then men like Haggai ministered to the children of Israel and Judah after the captivity had ended. And the children of Israel were back in their own land. And so the children of Judah and Israel have gone back to their homeland. Their captivity is ended. And for a little season they were filled with joy and thanksgiving and gratitude and enthusiasm and excitement again for the work of God. But very quickly that all subsided and the work of God ground to a halt. Now we are living in strange days in this nation of ours. We've just come out of a period of covid and churches have been closed and there's all sorts of different opinions and ideas and thinking about what has been going on over the last two or three years. And everybody has their own opinion. But friends, the reality is that here we are back in God's house again. Things have opened up again. And you would have thought that many of God's people, given what we have been through, would be enthusiastic and excited and stirred up and energetic and zealous for the work of God again. Back to the prayer meetings, back to the worship services, back to getting out and evangelizing and getting out around the doors and into the community and teaching boys and girls and meeting together again in these closing days of time. Here we are and we've been reminded of how fragile society is and how quickly things can change and where we are perhaps in the prophetic clock. And I would have thought and many of God's people thought that all that's been going on would stir up God's people to open our eyes and to realize where we are in society and the great need to serve Christ because it's the only thing at the judgment seat of Christ that will really Really matter the period of the work. The purpose of the work was to build the house of the Lord for his praise, for his worship. Uh, verse number eight or text says, God says, Build a house, I will take pleasure in it, I will be glorified, saith the Lord, and that will bring blessing to the people that worship, it'll bring blessing to the nation. So there's great purpose in the work, and you only have to read the prophecies of Jeremiah. And Haggai and Zechariah, many great promises for the work. And verse number eight's a promise. God says, you build a house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified in it. What a wonderful promise. But at last, there's problems in the work. You only have to read back there in the prophecy of Ezra that gives the historical setting for the prophecy of Zechariah that problems arose in the work. The Bible speaks there about adversaries heard that they were building the temple again, and then there was opposition, and then there was discouragement, and then there was fear and anxiety and a sense of futility. And Ezra chapter 4 ends with the words, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And that is exactly the moment whenever the ministry of Haggai is taken up. God sent this prophet, and his message is very simple. He's calling the people again to a fresh and a full commitment to the work of God again. As we think about that subject this morning from Haggai chapter 1, a fresh commitment to the work of God, notice first of all the stagnancy in the work. The work of God had stagnated. It had ground to a halt. It had been going ever so well. And then all of a sudden people began to murmur and get fearful and anxious and afraid because of secular forces and spiritual principalities that were working, pressure on them to stop the work of God. And it says in verse number four that God's house was lying waste. God's house lying waste. Haggai's first message (coughs) is a time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. And God is saying through the prophet Haggai, this is not how God's work should be. And this is not how God's work could be. If only everybody got a vision again, and a heart again, and faith again, and zeal again, things could be so much different, and the work of God could really progress and really prosper. And we have a good church here in Lisburn, and we've got a good denomination. And there are many other evangelical churches across our city and across our province. And I often wonder if every single Christian, even this church alone, thought, well, I'm going to single out five people this year. Just five people. I'm going to pray for those five people. I'm going to think about those five people. I'm going to seek opportunity to witness to those five people. And I'm going to do my best to either get a gospel tract or a gospel booklet or an invitation to church in their hand and invite them out to hear the gospel. And if every Christian, just five people, single them out in one year alone, I wonder what could be done in the work of God. If we went, as it were, up into the mountains and said, I'm going to try to get that big tree and bring it into the house of God and see it built in the God's house. What if you were to single out a loved one or a workmate or a neighbor and say before God, I'm going to pray for that person. I'm going to seek an opportunity. I'm going to get alongside them and ask them to come and hear the gospel. If every Christian did that, it could be over 200 people here this morning. And if only 25% of those five people that we tried to reach responded, there would still not be room enough here to receive them and hold them in Lisburn. But why was the, why had the work of God stagnated? I believe there are four primary reasons. First of all, some were consumed with pessimism. The work of God had stagnated because some were consumed with pessimism. They had got disappointed and they had got discouraged. They had tried perhaps to build, and they had come out of captivity. And the captivity, of course, was a result of their own sin. They had come back to Israel. Their beautiful, ornate temple had been destroyed. And for a season, they had tried to rebuild that temple. And then there was so much opposition to the work of God from external forces and from godless influences. And many people got pessimistic and discouraged. And they just thought, We can't possibly build a temple again. There's so much against us. And we don't have the resources that we used to have. And we're living in a different generation than Solomon lived in, and things were so much easier then. The nation was at its zenith. They'd just come out of the reign of David, and Solomon had taken the throne, and the land was filled with riches, and people were interested. But now, oh, it's a different society. Things aren't the same. There are new forces set against us. And they got discouraged and they got disappointed. And so the work ground to a cease. They just felt that it was so hard. Chapter 2 and verse number 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Some men well over the age of 70. Maybe in their 80s and 90s and they could remember what the original temple was like, filled with glory and gold. And some of them were saying, well, this new temple is nothing like the old temple. It's, in fact, it's, like, it's nothing like the old temple. And it'll never be the way it once was. Isn't it easy to look back in the rearview mirror of life through rose-tinted glasses And talk about how everything once was so good and so easy and so beautiful. And we forget that a lot of work had to be done back then. And now because there are new forces against the church. And we're living in a different day and generation. And there's maybe not as many people to work. And there's not as much zealousness and enthusiasm. And there are laws that are being passed that make it difficult. And friends, God's work was never easy. And it'll probably not get any easier. God's work is hard and God's work is difficult. But negativity and pessimism and a defeatist attitude is killing the church in this nation of ours. This idea that it it can't possibly be done. Dwight Eisenhower was one of the presidents of America in the nineteen. Uh, 50s and 60s and he said pessimism never won any battle. That's true. Pessimism never won any battle. And the work of God and your Christian life will never go forward if you're consumed with a spirit of pessimism. Some were consumed with pessimism And then the work of God had ground to a halt, not just because some were consumed with pessimism, but others were calling for postponement. Others were procrastinating. It says in verse number two, the people say the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. This isn't the right time. Timing's all wrong. If only the Assyrians weren't there, it maybe would be the time. If only we had more workers, it would maybe be the time. If only there was more of an interest in this ungodly society that we're living in, maybe then it would be the time, but it's simply not the right time to go forward with God. And maybe today you're not a Christian. You're not saved, or maybe you're backslidden. And your beef is, it's not the right time for me to become a Christian. It's not the right time for me to get saved. Or I would come back to the Lord, but it's just not the right time for me. The Bible says now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. But how often are Christians guilty of procrastination as well? I will become a man of God someday. I will become a woman of God someday. I will really get down to disciplined praying Someday. I will become a holy person someday. Someday I will really seek God for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Someday I will witness to that person. Someday I will witness for Jesus Christ. But I have so many other things to to see to first, and it just never seems to happen. You know, pessimism can be a very dangerous thing. It's like a young farmhand that I heard about and he had this huge trailer full of potatoes, about 15 tons of potatoes in this trailer and he turned around a corner in a country road and the whole trailer tipped over and all 15 tons of potatoes lying in a big heap in the road. His neighbor saw what had happened and he went out and the young man thought he's perhaps coming out to help me and the neighbor said, well, young man, he says, come into our house and have a bite of lunch first. This can wait. You need to sit down, relax, get your breath back. Come in and enjoy some food with us. And the young man says, I would love to, but if I don't get these potatoes gathered up, Dad's going to be furious. He'll not take it well. He says, don't worry about your dad. Come in and enjoy lunch with us. But Dad, and the man just brought him into the house, and he had his lunch, and he relaxed, and he got his breath back, and he got a drink of water, and got a a bite of dinner, and all of a sudden he felt at ease. And he thanked his host. He says, you know, but Dad's still going to be cross." Where is your dad? He says, he's underneath all of those potatoes out there. (laughs) Friends, you see how dangerous sometimes it is to procrastinate, especially in the work of God, and we sit back and we take our ease and we relax and we lose the passion for the lost. And there are people that are dying under the burden of sin. And they need to be reached and they need to be won. And they need to be prayed for and we need to get busy. Some were consumed with pessimism. Some were calling for postponement. And then there were others and they were conflicted with priorities. Now the Bible says every Christian, in fact I believe every human being, Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things shall be added unto you. The Word of God says that Jesus Christ our Lord in all things is to have the preeminence. Paul said the church of Corinth, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And in verse number four, there's a stinging rebuke for the children of Judah. God says, is a time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste, and the idea there that the seal houses were beautiful homes with ornate plaster everywhere, well-decored inside and out. And the Lord doesn't say it's wrong for you to have a nice home, or it's wrong for you to live in a beautiful house. But He says the problem is your priorities are wrong. You're so concerned About your own lifestyle and your own ease and your own comfort and your own enjoyment and your own pleasure and prosperity and material worth and possessions. And yet all the while, this house of mine is lying waste. What a stinging rebuke. Maybe hurts us a little bit. Certainly hurts me whenever I read this and think about how I live sometimes. So consumed about self and my contentment and prosperity and happiness and ease and yet sometimes the things of God, the work of God, the glory of God, takes a back seat. What will it be like for us someday to stand in the day of judgment? The Lord says, "Yes, I blessed you with homes and families and ability, and I blessed you materially and physically, and, and you know, all of those great blessings, the other things that are spoken about in Matthew chapter six. But you didn't really seek first the kingdom of God. And there was such a work to be done. And yet your priorities were all wrong. Yes, there are things that need to be seen to. Of course there are. And yes, the Lord permits us time for rest and fellowship and relaxation. And the Word of God speaks about eating and drinking and fellowshipping with our families like the prodigal whenever he returned. But the problem here was one of priority. Maybe today we need to reassess our priorities. What is the most important thing to you today? What's the most important thing in my life? Probably family. Providing, putting food on the table. Aiming for that promotion. Getting a better score in the exams. Getting promoted to a better team. Getting up the ladder in society. Getting a bigger salary. What about the things of God? And we're speaking here to Christians. The Savior in Matthew chapter 4 told a story about the parable of the sower. It's often applied in the gospel, but I believe it has application for God's people. The sower went forth to sow, the seed represents the word of God. Some fell by the wayside, some fell on stony ground, some fell among thorns, and some fell in the good soil. And the seed that fell among thorns, it began to take root, it began to grow. But then the thorns grew up with that seed and eventually choked the seed so that it became unfruitful. And the Savior said that the thorns represent the cares of this world, the deceitfulness, not riches, but the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of, listen, other things. And it was fruitless and the lusts of other things, other things that have their place, but the problem is we put those other things in the wrong place and out of place, and they choke the seed of God's Word, and so easily we become unfruitful, and that's the problem here really with the stagnancy in the work. Consequently, they were cursed with poverty. The stagnancy of the work, consumed with pessimism, calling for postponement, conflicted with priorities, consequently cursed with poverty. Look at verse number 6. Ye have sown much, and ye bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with hold. And they're working ever so hard. They're sowing, they're reaping, they're, they're working and they're, they're eating and they're drinking and they're earning wages. But everything that they put their efforts into just seems to dissipate. So there's nothing left. You see, friends, God does not allow His blood-bought, redeemed people... To live slack and loose and carefree and indifferent lives while the world around us is lost and perishing and He doesn't allow us to prosper if we're not really seeking first the kingdom of God. Whom the Father loveth, He chasteneth and scourgeth every son that He receiveth. You'll notice in verse number 11, God says, I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men and upon cattle and upon all the works of your hands. A drought, a famine in the land. Now why did that famine come? Why did it, why did it at last arrive? It says in verse number 9, Because of my house that is waste, and he run every man to his own house. We look at our nation today, and for generations, and certainly all my life, as far as I've been concerned, we're looking for peace and for prosperity as a nation. But the further we get away from the things of God, the more poverty, spiritually, morally, emotionally, the more barrenness, the more drought, the more dissatisfaction, the more unhappiness there is, the further a nation that has once known the blessing of God gets away from the things of God, the only result can be spiritual barrenness and poverty. And that affects everything else. <coughs> Barren times. And it was because of God's house that was laid waste. This poverty was spiritual. Spiritual. And even in the life of an individual, the neglect of the means of grace and the neglect of the things of God, it might initially seem to result in material prosperity, financial prosperity, physical security. But all the while we're putting our wages into bags of holes and we eat but we're not filled and we drink but we're not satisfied. And these are God's people, and they're trying to satisfy a spiritual hunger with temporal things. If only I had a little bit more in the pocket, a little bit more in the table, a little bit more in the fridge, a little bit more in the background, I would be happy. And we try to fill ourselves with the works of our hands, and we discover that we're empty and we're barren. Whenever you lose out with God, and you miss the blessing of God... There will always be that hunger. I believe that whenever somebody loses out with God, they can never be satisfied with everything that the world throws at them. Those that are filled with self are generally very, very empty. Frustration, dissatisfaction, and stagnancy had set in. Can I ask you today, are you spiritually stagnant? Have you lost out with God somehow? Maybe it's because of pessimism. What's the point? Procrastination. It'll wait until another day. Maybe wrong priorities. And all the while, this poverty, the spiritual poverty, that God seems to be at a distance. That you're not enjoying the blessing of God and the presence of Christ. I can remember a number of years ago, a young mother, a young wife came to me and she lamented that she says, I'm not growing as a Christian. Began to talk about things and she was very honest and very open. And she was pursuing on a course of action that was absolutely opposed to the Word of God. And I remember saying that, young mother, I says, you know, if God Himself spoke to you right now from heaven with an audible voice and spoke to you by name and said to you, don't do this. What would you do? She says, well, I would have to, I wouldn't do it. And then I showed her the Bible. I says, well, God says exactly the same thing in the Bible. And that's a more sure word of prophecy. Now, what are you going to do? And she persisted in that course of action. And I tell you, it was a spiritual train wreck. An absolute disaster. And it was because of wrong priorities. Cost her a home, cost her her marriage, cost her her mental health, cost her her walk with God. And I've seen that so many times in my limited experience. There's a work to be done. And the Lord says, if you get involved, I will take pleasure in it. I will be glorified in it. I had three points this morning. That's just the first one. Stagnancy in the work. Next day and next Sunday, we'll look at strengthening of the workers and then the stirrings of the Lord. Time is gone, but I trust and pray that God will encourage and challenge and stir our hearts. There's something today for every Christian to do in the work of God. Psalmist said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. There is a work for Jesus. Humble though it be, Tis the very service that God would ask I don't like to finish on a negative note but time is gone and we'll God willing come back to this portion next Lord's Day morning but let's not procrastinate maybe you've lost out with God maybe you're not a Christian maybe God has been challenging you about something to do let's do it today and let's do business with God this morning.